Hello, friends. Welcome to Success for Whole Ass Humans. I'm your host, Shari Bellucci, success strategist and well being coach for entrepreneurs, creatives, artists, activists, and thought leaders. I'll be your guide as well as your companion along the journey to cultivating a life grounded in your version of success while navigating the ups and downs that come with living a life as a whole ass human. We're often all going through such similar experiences, and yet we still feel isolated in them. I've created this space because I know that there's power in having our experiences normalized and how deeply transformative it is to know that you are not alone. If you're going through an experience that's challenging or complex in your life or business, and your brain has hit a wall, I want this to be the space that helps you open up that dialogue and conversation with yourself so you can explore and look at things in a way that ultimately helps you feel better and lighter. Like all of my content, my intention is not to present a one-size-fits-all solution, but to offer you possibilities to help you move through the stuckness so you can truly embrace your identity as someone who gets to create wild success, whatever that means for you, while being a whole-ass human. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode. I am particularly excited to talk with you guys this week because I'm introducing a new series onto the podcast called I'm Sorry If I'm an Asshole But... Dot, dot, dot. Um, and the reason I'm introducing this uh, new style of episode or series on the podcast, right, Right now, we've got a case study series that I do about once a month going into greater depth, breaking down a specific client case study about a problem that a client had, the approach that we took through one-on-one coaching to solve it. And I get pretty in-depth and specific about what we did during the months or 60 minutes of coaching, depending on how long it took that client to create the transformation, right? So these are pretty intensive deep dives. um, And obviously, I share the results that they created, and really just take you behind the scenes of step by step what that process looked like to create different types of results in business. Um, We also have the practice type episodes, which are guided exercises that you get to do live. So they're not informational or knowledge-based. They're actually like a guided meditation or a live practice or tool that you get to um, do alongside the episode. And then we've also got some guest interview episodes. Um, So we've got a couple of different series and I'm introducing this new one called I'm Sorry If I'm an Asshole But because it's really been on my mind and on my heart to start expressing a little bit more of my thoughts on the coaching industry, on the personal development industry, and on online business. Um, And it's something that I've been wrestling with for probably formally for about nine months now. I remember talking about it with my previous one-on-one coach, Kim Argetzinger, um, who is an amazing human. And I was talking about it this morning with um, my current one-on-one coach, uh, Lisa Becker. And the, the thing that was coming up was really that I have a lot of thoughts, opinions, stances, even um, lack of values alignment with a lot of the top 2% of the coaching industry and the leaders in our spaces and some of the dominant narratives that are being shared. And so 
I'm navigating that alongside also navigating the fact that I am still in the growing phase of my business. I'm still in some ways in the building phase of my business because I shifted into a coaching business after about two years of doing a marketing consulting done for you style business. And so my business is still in its infancy in many ways, right? We just crossed um, four years of being in business in March, and I'm recording this podcast episode in May of 2023. And so in terms of longevity in business, yes, it's an amazing milestone to be still in business at year four. I think a large percentage of businesses fail and don't make it to year five. And so I definitely, you know, honor and celebrate that milestone. That said, there's also the reality that in the lifetime of a business, it really does take several years to get fully stable in your cash flow, in your structures, in your position in the market, right? All of those things. And so my business is still in its early stages of growth, in its building foundations. And um, to some extent, business is all about connections and networking and who you know, and, and your online presence, right? And so, so much of that is built on reputation, social acceptance. Um, there's a lot of different identities that can make it easier or harder to move along that spectrum, right? And for me, one of my identities is being multiracial, identifying as a person of color and a woman of color. And so I just feel like it can be sometimes less safe to express some of my thoughts, um, particularly when they are thoughts that are informed by a radically different lived experience than some of the top 2% of our coaching industry. Um, and it can also be something that is, um, I would say, not appreciated by the culture, right? I do feel like there is a little bit of culture in particularly the coaching industry right now as it's going through a pretty radical transformation and a pretty big phase of well-known folks being called out, um, people looking at the systems of the way that coaching has operated, the structures of coaching program, how people are making their money, how they're running their programs, right? So much of that structure is being um, challenged, questioned, brought into the light. And so because of that, I think there's a lot of fear of being called out. Um, and, and I get it. I get that being called out and put in the spotlight for something that you're doing, whether intentionally or unintentionally causing harm can be really threatening. And I think it's important to do it. I think that casting people as being gossipy or, um, unhelpful, petty, whatever it is for speaking out about the things that they don't like in the industry doesn't actually serve the industry. So I feel like I'm trying to talk around it a little bit right now, I think just out of practice. Um, I think my brain is like so used to people talking around it. So even now as I'm like just speaking to my podcast mic in a very safe environment where I could choose to post this or not, right? Even my brain is like, oh, say the thing without saying the thing. What I'm trying to say is people are acting like It's a good thing not to be too gossipy. And if you point out or call out specific people or specific practices, that that's going too far. And I just don't agree with that. I do think that you have to be mindful of the critiques that you're giving. I do think that we have to take responsibility for the things that we say about other people. I think we have to be nuanced and um, take 
context into consideration beyond our own personal experiences with a certain person, right? We can't just take our experience and start projecting that onto other situations that look the same that we really know nothing about. And so I think critiques have to be done carefully. I don't think they have to be done perfectly. I don't think you have to have every single piece of information in order to share a critique. But I think it's important for there to be a very critical conversation around the coaching industry, particularly because coaching is such an important experience. It's such an important service to have access to, in my opinion. I don't see it as a basic need, but I do think it can radically transform people's lives in a way that goes even further than a luxury. I have had such great results from working with coaches. Um, I know that I have worked with my own clients who've gotten really good deep transformations from a personal development standpoint beyond like the business and money and, you know, sustainability wins, just like the personal growth and transformation that happens through the modality of coaching is so powerful. And so I definitely have a stake in making sure that um, our industry continues to thrive, um, continues to be a place of trust and integrity and giving people more possibilities and empowerment. And so that's kind of what's informing this. But because of that narrative that even though I not even though I know it's not true that speaking out against something is wrong or makes you part of the problem, I still worry about it. And so my little mindset hat for myself Um, particularly because sometimes I think that I'm really judgy in my head. Um, I think part of my um, shadow and light is that I'm really good at anticipating problems, at being able to synthesize information and see the pros and cons of it. So I tend to run (laughs) data constantly in my brain from a very critical standpoint. And so sometimes I feel like that makes me sound really judgy in terms of the voice in my head or even the voice out loud if I would to share it like verbatim with other people. But what I know to be true about the way that I process is that I'm not using those judgments to inform my interactions in big ways, right? So if I'm pulling judgments, let's say like first impression judgments about someone based on their social media profile, what I know is that I'm not going to take that judgment and make it mean that if someone interacts with me, that I'm going to interact with them from that place. Um, I'm not going to use it to make presumptions and choose to talk badly about someone or um, automatically disqualify them for something that I've extrapolated, right? I'm just going to use that to maybe go into the interaction more cautiously, um, maybe to like teach myself how to maybe navigate that, but I'm still pretty open to that judgment shifting with more data. So anyways, to kind of soothe my fear of being an asshole um, and being a judgy asshole in the space, that's what I'm going to call this series. I'm going to just like be ironic, poke a little fun at myself and call it, I'm sorry if I'm an asshole, but So today's episode and first edition of this series of I'm sorry if I'm an asshole, but somebody lied to your ass about scaling. (laughs) So one of the funny things about me is (laughs) I am really hilarious about the way that I manage my social media boundaries. I'm very particular about like, 
unfollowing, muting, silencing, uh, just keeping really good boundaries with social media as much as I can and really keeping it a space, particularly my Instagram feed, where I don't have a ton of control over what I see in terms of like the algorithm and sponsored content, right? Is I try to keep it as clean as possible because I have to be on there for marketing my business and engaging and connecting with like people I actually enjoy. Um, And so one of the things that I do is when I see content or ads that make me like really frustrated and kind of like spark that like righteous indignation, I save it to an anti-content inspiration folder in my Instagram account. And I use it as food for thought, as inspiration for things that I want to speak against, um, particularly if they're significant people in the industry um, really echoing the same things. I think that is just a very soothing way for me to make a mental note and not feel like my time has been wasted with bullshit. So perhaps today's conversation (laughs) was inspired by several um, anti-content inspiration posts and ads that I've been seeing recently in the industry about scaling. And I just want to have a really frank and honest conversation and kind of debunk some of the myths and common dominant narratives that I'm seeing and provide additional context that I've seen from my years of coaching and behind the scenes experience supporting clients right on the back end of the challenges that they're actually navigating, the client hiccups that are happening, um, the emotional roller coasters that they're riding, right? Um, I think as a coach, you get to see so much behind the scenes that sometimes you can't always talk about publicly. And so this gives you a really well-rounded out perspective on the industry in a different way. And I think that's so beneficial to have. And I didn't have it before I was a coach, right? I relied on other people to be able to help provide that context for me. I think it can feel really gaslighty when you're consuming content from experts in the industry and feeling not great about what you're seeing and it doesn't resonate, but you can't put your thumb on why. And all of the experts and people at the top of your field are are continuing to perpetuate a narrative that doesn't quite feel right to you, but you can't put your finger on it. I think it's really easy to self-gaslight when that happens. And I think having people who can speak out against what's problematic and really have the nuance and depth of experience and perspective to break that down can be so soothing, normalizing, permission giving and really help take some of the pressure off of this being like an individual thing where your thinking is wrong and help illuminate that it might be a systemic thing in your industry that's actually occurring and potentially offering shifts, filters, more helpful alternatives to that narrative that maybe aren't resonating, right? So you can have something else to anchor into and connect with. So the first thing I want to talk about as it relates to scaling is to say that scaling is a choice and an option. It is not a requirement for a successful business. And the reason I want to say this is because I think particularly with online business, but small business in general, I think um, lends itself to really pushing people to their limits in service of income growth. And I think when we think about a business, the natural kind of conversation is like, okay, how are you going to scale? How are you going to scale that? How are you going to grow that, right? And I think it's really important to differentiate between what scaling is and what growing is because I truly believe that 
scaling is something that some business owners can choose to do, but it also doesn't mean that just because you have a business, you have to scale it. And the way that I think about scaling, right, is really about, it's about a leverage point. It's about doing things at scale, right? It's about taking something that works and ratcheting that up in terms of income, in terms of volume and quantity, right? So scaling is really about, most of the time, growing your income through growing volume, right? Whether that's more clients, whether that is um, more products, whether that, depending on your business model, right? But you're, you're taking something that's already working and you are exponentially multiplying that growth, When we talk about like growing your business or building a business, we are really talking about establishing those foundations to generate cash flow, to generate revenue, right? So when you're growing, you're really like generating, right? And you're looking for ways to create offers that generate revenue, to um, find your perfect clients, to sell your products, right? Growing is about establishing good cash flow, earning a revenue, being able to pay yourself, being able to hire a team, like all of those things are growing. Scaling is when you have something that works and you want to bring it to scale. And that's the reason I say that not every business has to scale. And in fact, there are many cases where it doesn't make sense to scale. And so I want to chat briefly about that and just kind of help anchor in this point to share some cases where you may not actually want to scale, right? I think a one-on-one business is a really good example of cases where you may not want to scale your business. And this might mean like if you sell high ticket services, right? Maybe you are a consultant or you are a coach or you are um, a service provider, right? This could be anything from being a graphic designer, a website developer, a business coach, an intimacy coach, right? Your services are primarily one-on-one. They're high ticket. They generate, you know, a large amount per package, but they're not able to be done at scale, right? It Maybe it's just you or you and a small team, or you're the primary one who can deliver these services. So you don't have like... um, contractors working below you or employees working below you who can also serve your clients, right? But maybe you have a team or staff who are working in the back end of the operations or the marketing, right? But they're not front facing, they can't do the client work. So you can only take on a certain number of clients at once. That might be a case where you choose not to scale and you choose to grow and then just maintain and sustain. And the important thing to note here which I think is obvious as a business coach, but I know is not obvious to everyone, is that you can make a lot of money without ever scaling, right? You can run a six-figure, a multi-six-figure, and sometimes even a million-dollar business simply with one-on-one services that aren't scalable. Now, the irony of this example is obviously that I have a scalable one-on-one model, right through my revenue share pricing structure. But that is pretty much one of the only ways to scale one-on-one at the moment. And so for the most part, one-on-one services are not super scalable, right? Things that are high touch, very personalized, where there's a capacity limit are not scalable. 
This is also true for some product-based businesses, right? For small batch artisanal type of products where things are handmade or there's a high quality, high touch approach to it, right? Maybe fine jewelry or custom spice blends or um, any product where there's a lot of care taken into it and there's a high level of um, oversight needed in order to produce this product and produce it at quality, you might not actually want to scale that. That's a case where you might be able to physically scale that if you have the raw materials to do that, right? With some types of jewelry, you might not be able to because of the raw materials needed. But for instance, like the spice blend example I gave, you could totally source more of that. You would just have to figure out like how to be able to handle a larger volume of orders, how to fulfill those orders, how to blend them, you know, more effectively or more efficiently. So there are cases where you can scale where you might choose not to, and that's perfectly okay. (laughs) It's all about what you want in terms of the business you're trying to create, the lifestyle you want to create as a result of your business, how much time and energy you want to pour into the business, how lean or how robust you want the structure of your business to be, right? All of those things can contribute to cases where you may not actually want to scale. Now, I think what can be helpful is to also think about why people do choose to scale, right? I mean, I think that's fairly obvious from a like income standpoint, but I think there's a lot of reasons why scaling makes sense for a lot of different businesses beyond just the income, right? And particularly if your business mission or a strong value and purpose for you creating your business is to create a certain impact on your community or audience, scale might be something that you choose to do and that you quote unquote want to do, even if a lot of my clients um, go through this where they intend on building a business out of necessity. Maybe they need a more flexible schedule for a certain reason, or they want to do this work, but they're not super excited about being the boss, running and managing a team, doing all the CEO level hats that they have to do that comes with business ownership, right? They really dream of just staying the service provider. But what can happen is the impact you want to make actually requires scale, right? So maybe you are a confidence coach and you start off by offering one-on-one services, but then you realize you really want to impact the confidence of women. And the way that you want to have an impact is by touching more and more women, right? And by being able to affect a certain number of lives, right? Maybe you want to spread it globally. Maybe you want to spread it in your country, right? But you really want to be able to influence the lives of women and their confidence. Then in that case, you actually might have a reason that pushes you towards scaling out of your one-on-one coaching, scaling into group coaching, or scaling out of group coaching and small group programs into something like courses or education or media, right? But there are reasons why you might choose to scale. I'm not going to use the word want because sometimes the want is there and sometimes it's like, I don't want this, but this is what I need and I need to shift into finding a way to make myself want this, right? Because this is ultimately what I want, but it's not what I want right now. Kind of like vegetables, right? It's like, I want the health. Maybe I don't want the broccoli necessarily, but I want the health, so I'll eat the broccoli, right? Same, same with scaling. Sometimes 
you're just so clear on your mission and vision that even though you might enjoy the one-on-one coaching, it might you might have to shut it down at a certain point once you start growing to a certain level if you want to scale that level of impact to be able to touch millions instead of tens or hundreds of people through your programs, you're going to have to shift that business model into something that is more scalable. And so those are some of the reasons in context where where scaling might make sense and you might choose to pursue scaling. But I think the filter question that you can use to help you determine if scaling is aligned with your desires and your business values is, is there something that I cannot do if I grow this business all the way, right? So if you look at your current product suite and you look at its maximum capacity for revenue and impact, is that aligned with your values? Is that something you could be content with, right? So for instance, just to keep things simple and look at my business, right? And I have a revenue share model. My current client capacity is around 10 clients at once. Um, I offer no other group programs or containers. Um, I don't do any self-study courses at the moment. I really don't have any other offers other than a paid intensive session. So if I work to my max, which is the the 10 clients at once, right, for $12.22 a month, that's my base rate plus the 15% revenue share, right? Would that be enough of an impact for me? And for me right now and for the foreseeable future, the answer feels like yes. I love the idea of going really deep with 10 humans at a time, even if that means I have to say no to some other people. Because for me, I see the trickle down effect of really working deeply with one human on their inner transformation and how that will trickle down, particularly because I work with business owners, right? Every interaction that that business owner has with their team, with their partners, with their families, with their clients, with um, their audience is going to benefit from the transformational work that I do with my clients. And so for me, that ripple effect of impact is is fulfilling, uh, satiates my desire for impact. And the revenue possibility, right, which um, I'm going to do some like loose math here, but if you do 1222 times 10, right, that's probably between like 11, 12K, right? That would be a baseline monthly revenue, so 12K a month. Um, And then with the 15% of revenue, right, that's a highly variable amount, but it could be anywhere between like $0 a month to I have a cap on my revenue share at $30,000 a month. So if every client was, you know, grew with me over the years, just kept renewing and we had scaled them to 30,000 a month each, right? That would be what 300,000 of Am I doing that math right? Y'all let me pull out a calculator before I botch this math. Okay. We have 1222 times 10 plus 30,000 times 10. Yeah, we're looking at 312,000 a month, right? Which for me is completely feels good. That would be, I think, almost, I think three, okay, 3.7 million a year. 
Um, that's in gross revenue right before expenses. For me, that is going fully above and beyond meeting my needs, meeting my desires, meeting my overhead costs and the cost of operating the business. And so that feels really good, really expansive and really fulfilling for me, right? If you're looking at your own product suite, let's say you um, you have a different model. Maybe you have a group program that has a cap or you have a different pricing structure, right? Maybe you do Um, Maybe you're like a virtual assistant or an online business manager and you can only have four clients at once and you currently charge a retainer of $1,500 a month, right? Maybe for you, that means that your maximum capacity is $1,500 times your three clients, which puts you at $4,500 a month. But actually, you know that like in order to grow, you're going to need to hire some extra team members, you're going to need to increase overhead. And so you really need to be bringing in closer to $10,000 a month in order to, you know, have the business and lifestyle you want. Then what you need to do is look at scalability, right? And are you going to scale through increasing prices? Are you going to scale by um, limiting client spots and maybe offering some other type of program, right? Like, how can you take what you're doing and do it better, do it in a more leveraged way that allows you to grow your income to meet your desires, right? And so I think it's just really helpful to have a filter question and to give yourself some space to make that choice of like, do I actually want to scale this business? Knowing that you can have a very successful business that is not scalable, right? And in many ways, my business is not endlessly scalable, right? Once I especially because I have that revenue share cap, right? Once my clients have the $30,000 revenue share payment, and once I filled out those 10 spots, like there's no more income possibility there, right? And of course, that's a pretty high threshold as far as small business goes of like 3.7 million. But that also means that I can't become an eight-figure business, right? That's not really an option there with that product suite and with that business model. And so if that were something that were important to me, let's say I wanted to have a foundation where I could endow multiple millions of dollars, right? And that was really important to my life's work, then this business model would not be the way to get me there. And so I think just making sure that you slow down, ask yourself that question before you are fed a long list of online marketing how-tos and pressurized um, content to suggest that you need to scale in order to have a successful business. Just do that internal check-in and see if that's actually something you want before you continue to build that strategy and make that your priority in your business. Okay, the second thing I want to have a conversation around as it relates to scaling is that scaling passively or this whole concept of self-scaling or, you know, scaling or growing on autopilot is not a thing. Okay. (laughs) I've seen like more and more ads about this. And, you know, at one point when I was entering the online industry in 2019, uh, courses and creating your own course, your own digital course, online course, self-paced course, DIY course, right? There are so many different um, sets of verbiage and language being marketed at the time, but that was like the holy grail of online business at 
at the time that I came online, right? And it was all about like making passive income and doing things on autopilot and not having to like put any effort into making money. Y'all, that is not a thing. And here's why it's not a thing. Because there are a lot of people saying it's not a thing and I want to be very specific about what I mean. So when people are talking about the concept of passive income through business or self-scaling leads on autopilot, sales on autopilot, I think what they're actually getting at is that there are ways of doing business that are easier or even less work than what you're doing now to build your business, right? So I think what, what is true is that scaling can be simpler than it was to grow your business, right? Doing something to exponentially grow your income, right? Maybe from, let's say, like 250000 to 500000 might actually be easier than what it took to build your business from ground zero to 100000 But that doesn't mean that that is passive or done by itself. What we're really talking about there is a matter of relativity and degree of work, but not the absence of work. And I think that's a really important distinction. And I think the reason that it's such an important distinction is it really helps you set up your expectations, not just in terms of like really deciding if this is something you want and worth the trade-off of effort you put into it, but it's also really important to not end up accidentally beating yourself up or feeling discouraged when it's not happening automatically. The reason it's not is because it's not a thing, not because you couldn't cut it at doing that. Does that make sense? So it really could be true that another strategy doesn't require more of your time or even your effort, but typically it requires other resources in order to make it more passive or self-scaling, right? So often what this means is there's some kind of trade-off involved of what you need to input more of. And it maybe isn't your time or effort. Maybe that's more team spend or more ad spend or more focus on marketing, right? Instead of like service delivery. That's basically the trade-off that you're making with a course model is that you don't have to be on -on one-on-one calls and you don't have to be worried about Um, how you're going to sign your next client and the time it takes to speak with that client, serve that client, you know, run through the program with them. But as sure as hell means you need to be marketing a lot more to make the volume of sales that it takes to make a service-based sale, right? So if you have, let's say, a six-month coaching program, the amount of marketing that you have to do to secure that six months of revenue is often far less than what it takes to market a course that would make the same amount of revenue, right? And that's because it's a volume game, right? You typically can't sell courses for the same amount as a high-touch one-on-one service. And so in order to make the same amount of revenue, you need volume. In order to have the volume, you need an audience. In order to grow an audience, you need content or ads. And so it works more like a trade-off in terms of when you're looking at these um, programs and strategies that offer passive scaling or self-scaling options or options that are on autopilot, right? It works more like a trade-off of you don't have to put in your (laughs) call time 
you have to put in your marketing time or you don't have to put in your hours at a desk. You can put in $2,500 a month into Facebook ads, right? So it's really the passiveness, the selfness, the autoness is coming from redirecting resources. Instead of inputting your time and effort, you are inputting another type of resource into the bucket. And sometimes you even are putting in your time and effort too. (laughs) Um, And so that's really important to name is that those, those things aren't truly hands off. And the other really, really important thing, especially if you're an early stage entrepreneur, especially if you're just building your business and are working out stabilizing your cash flow and being able to pay yourself or match your previous corporate salary, right? Is that scaling requires you to have the basics down really well in order to work. You can't scale something that isn't proven in the market, right? Like that is how you end up feeling really discouraged and waste a lot of money, to be honest, right? If you've ever heard horror stories about paid advertising, particularly Facebook ads, right? And people throwing a lot of money and it doesn't work. That's because they're doing something that hasn't been battle tested organically. And so in order for scaling to really be a viable option, you have to have the foundations down and have something to scale, right? Have something that works in order to scale it. You can't just scale a new business with with no track record because that's not scaling that's growing. And There's no way to make it at scale, right? Growing is about figuring out what resonates with your audience, what creates conversion, how to create those clients. Scale is where you double down and almost pour gasoline on that little starter fire to exponentially increase the results. If you try and scale a new business, you're not going to get scale. (laughs) You're just going to get struggle. And that's where people can sometimes see the, the really appealing marketing aspect of a passive strategy. But those passive strategies are designed for more seasoned businesses, and so that's probably why it's not working for you. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about as it relates to this whole conversation around scaling, and I think this one is really, really valuable, and it's a really helpful lens to help you kind of make sense of all the competing advice that's out there. And this point is about the fact that the thing that will exponentially grow your business explode your brand, right? Give you that pop or or scale fast isn't actually one thing. And the reason I say this is because a lot of the top experts in our industry are talking about the shift in your strategy, the thing you need to do, the one thing to focus on in order to grow fast, scale fast, exponentially grow your income or your business, right? But There's one expert who's teaching one thing. There's another expert who's teaching you an entirely different thing. Another person is teaching you an entirely different framework. And it can be so confusing because there's at least 10 different versions of this strategy or approach or areas to focus on supposedly to exponentially grow your business. But there can't be like 10 only ones and only things and the thing, right? Like logically, that's impossible. So like then we're left to decipher, okay, like which one and how do we discern which one? And so what I want to offer you here is kind of like, is this analogy of cooking, right? And thinking about like, if you, okay, let's say we're looking at 
this from the perspective of cooking and your goal is to make a really delicious dish, right? We've got three different cooks representing three different business owners and the goal is to make something really absolutely delicious, right? Each cook is going to make their attempt at a recipe. Let's say they're making spaghetti and they're all going to have their own cooking style, uh, own palate that they lean towards, right? So let's say person number one really leans towards salty. They make a pretty salty dish. Number two uh, leans away from super bold flavors. So they've got a really great consistency. Their sauce is looking good, but it's quite bland. And then you've got like third person who is kind of impatient, likes to rush through steps. So their sauce is like ready quicker than the others, but the, the flavor hasn't fully like bloomed and the depth of the sauce isn't there, right? So then here comes a expert, right? A cooking master chef expert who's going to help figure out how to take that dish and make it delicious, right? So person number one was salty. So this expert is going to come in and maybe help them balance out the saltiness with some spiciness or some acidity, right? Maybe they'll throw a little vinegar in there or they'll help them uh, water down the the mixture a little bit and boil some of that water off to help, you know, give it more ratio and decrease the saltiness. Then this dish ends up being amazing well-balanced. Candidate number two, right, who had the like really good... um good execution, but like kind of bland, maybe this person needs a little extra spice. So this um, master chef is like, okay, let's throw in a little extra garlic, a little lemon zest, a lot more salt. Okay, bam, we've got a delicious spaghetti sauce going. And person number three, they actually kind of like rushed through things, nothing was bloomed and flavored. So the cook is like, okay, actually, what we need to do to bring this to master chef level dish is we need to let it simmer for like another 30 minutes. And then to kind of balance out the fact that you rush this, we can add extra spice, maybe a little extra herbs, a little extra oregano in there, a little extra thyme to really like kind of combat the fact that this is bland. Okay, now all of these dishes are all super delicious bomb ass dishes. But the way that they needed to be balanced was all different, right? And it's the same thing with business. So the thing that your dish needs in order to be delicious is going to be different based on that baseline that you're coming, that starter recipe, right? It's why some experts are preaching specific strategy shifts because maybe they came into their business with a certain bent. Maybe they were really good at the action of their business, taking the actions, doing all the steps, but it was actually like mindset that helped them trust what they were doing and not feel discouraged as they were executing and be able to count the results that were already there, but that they weren't feeling like were enough to really count as being successful. Maybe someone else was like really good at seeing the vision and doing the big picture stuff, but was really not like executing fully on their strategy. And so they would be in this like start stop cycle with their marketing, right? That person maybe needed like a really good consistent strategy or needed really good consistent support to help them execute that strategy, right? So this is the reason why we might see some people saying, this strategy is the shift you need to make, or 
I, I saw success in scale just by doubling down on the same things I was already doing or 90% of your results are going to come from the mindset and energetics. Business is all a mindset and energetics game, right? They are all right, but only one of those or some of those are going to be right for your business because of that base starter dish that you're coming into business with. And so like in cooking these dishes, right? It's really useful to know some of those essentials for like, okay, what do create really sustainable business foundations? What are some of those really solid strategies and principles that I need to know in order to be able to take inventory and stock, right? Like, not anybody off the street could look at a terrible spaghetti sauce and tell you how to bring it to delicious levels, right? If you watch the show Chopped, right? Like not all of us could take those nasty ass basket ingredients and make something delicious. But because those chefs know how to balance a dish, what are the components that create sourness and saltiness and sweetness? And what's that like perfect kind of... um combination to bring something that's overpowering in one direction and bring it and soften the right places and intensify in the other places, right? Knowing when to employ which techniques is not obvious to everyone. That's where you need the expert. This is why people have coaches. This is why I think specifically one-on-one coaching is so powerful is because you're working with an expert who has spent time studying the patterns and can help you identify what your areas of strength are that you're already bringing to your dish in your business, right? Versus like, what are the gaps that you need to fill that maybe could propel you exponentially into that next level of growth and move you from just kind of like coasting to really seeing that scale, that pop moment. That is how you find your thing. And so that's why the thing that's going to explode your business isn't actually one thing, but everybody's saying it's one thing because the one thing has been true for them. And odds are they are probably attracting clients because of their messaging who are very similar to them, right? Clients who have a same um, orientation towards business, who have similar strengths, similar challenges. And so they're seeing results because they're coming from a very similar baseline. However, when you have messaging that says your thing is the one thing, and someone comes into your program or your content who's coming from a different baseline, that's how you get disappointed clients. That's how sometimes things can get a little sketchy, a little bait and switchy, is because you're selling this thing as the thing, but it's not the thing for everyone. This is the thing for people who have XYZ context. And so it is so valuable for you as the business owner to get that discernment on what is your context and or who can you find that can help you discern your context so you're applying the right techniques to your business and to your scaling. So takeaways from (laughs) this session about conversation around scaling and all the bullshit that's out there about scaling that I want to correct is that scaling is a choice and not a requirement for having a successful business. Two, scaling passively or self-scaling on autopilot is just simply not a thing. It's not a thing. Number three is that the thing that can explode your business isn't actually one thing. And the takeaway that I kind of want you guys to walk away with from this conversation and really be able to apply into your own business 
is really rooting down in the fact that scaling is a choice. It's something that you get to filter through your own values and your own desires in your business. And if it makes sense for your business, then you need clarity on what shift your business needs in order to get those exponential results, right? And so I'm not trying to be an asshole, y'all, but we needed to have this conversation around scaling because there's a whole lot of bullshit out there. If you're a business owner that's growing or scaling and you want to explore working with me as your one-on-one coach, please go ahead and book a free call so we can have an open and honest conversation about how I support my coaching clients and whether we're a good fit to work together. The link is available in the show notes. And I hope this conversation helped remind you that you are not alone if something has been feeling off to you about the advice floating out there in the online space. Thanks for hanging with me. I will talk to y'all next week. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Success for Whole Ass Humans. If you enjoyed this episode or have found this podcast valuable in your business journey, please leave us a review so that more people can find us and we can keep spreading the message that we get to be whole ass humans and create wild success. If you want to connect with me more, feel free to follow me on Instagram at Shari Bellucci, and I will see you all next time.